All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of uh, Empathic Futures Lab, the show about human-focused futures for the environments we live in. Uh, I'm Chris. And I'm Christian. All right. And today we're super excited to have a guest with us, Marco Fabriga. Uh, from well, he's he's started a couple of startups and now he works as a UI designer at Havas in Chicago. And we'll let him introduce himself. Hey, Marco. Glad to be here. How's it going, guys? Going great. So, um, I guess for the listeners who you know they're always listening to us, and architect is maybe a little more uh, self-explanatory. But what what is it that you do and and uh, or have done it up to this point? Yeah, so currently I'm a, a UX designer, and I think a lot of times like you know people refer to it just as a digital designer, but it's more of like a, a mindset and like an approach by keeping end users in mind first. Um, so it's really about you know kind of developing that user experience for the you know the customers or you know whatever the end user end is in mind first. Okay, and that's it's mostly like apps and and things of that nature. Yeah, yeah, and it's mostly mostly digital, but um, at times it could tie into physical experiences, you know, whether it be like brand activations, um, and things along those lines. Hmm. Okay, that's pretty cool. I wasn't I wasn't necessarily expecting it to be uh, more than apps, so that's that's awesome. Any any cool projects you're on right now that you can talk about or want to talk about? Uh, not, nothing, nothing too interesting to talk about per se, but um, I will say that. The company I work at, it's a, an opportunity to talk uh, to work across a lot of work streams, um, not necessarily in our office, but we have an office in New York. Um, so there have been times we've had to jump on a call and chat with them about stuff. So I would just say that the most interesting thing I'm doing right now is just collaborating with a lot of you know different backgrounds and things along those lines. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's something I wish that uh, I had the opportunity to do in an architecture office. You know, it's yeah. fairly. Uh, you know, monoculture to, you know, it's, it's interiors and architects, but th- those are very similar disciplines. So that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, so I guess I had one question. You said uh, you had an opportunity to interact with a lot of people with different backgrounds. What, uh, I guess, what's sort of an example of that? Like, what what is a typical, maybe there isn't a typical, but what does, like, your team consist of? Like, where do these people come from? My, my guess would be there's a lot of people uh, that come from, like an industrial design background but you know even beyond that because i know when i took the id class there was a lot of people that were looking at user interface stuff but maybe you can expand on that a little bit yeah 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 i would say there are you know designers some with industrial backgrounds um just because you know industrial background you can take that to a digital experience as well um Mm -hmm. but i would say actually it's also to you know strategy is a big one um, because understanding kind of like the scape, of like you know, the landscape of what we're doing, really helps impact the decisions of how we can, like I said, be the champion of the, the user in mind by understanding like the context of what they are. So strategy is a big one, but also you know kind of a, you know the day to day, your your project managers, your account, you know people, things like that, and obviously the client. Um, so just kind of that relationship with them as well. Mm-hmm. So like I said, diverse. Uh, I mean even development to a certain degree. Um, those those kind of conversations, um, but yeah, very pretty pretty diverse background made up of a bunch of different skills. Yeah, I imagine uh, there are a lot of a lot of people who've you know come from not design backgrounds too. Are there are there a lot of social science people or psychology people, sociology people like that, or is it mostly designers in general? 
Yeah, yeah. You know, I would say there are people who, who do have design backgrounds, but some who've actually just, you know, they've been around the brand long enough that they have a, a, enough, well, they've been around the company long enough to understand kind of like how it works. Uh-huh. So they kind of fit in and form to, you know, adjusting to it. You know, there, there's, there's like UX in the sense of like having like design thinking where everyone is just in sync or whatever. Right. But in an agency model, it's kind of like everyone come together and get things done, kind of like a startup. So kind of very, very gritty, like let's just execute and get things done. Ah, pretty cool. All right. So I think that that's a good segue into uh, uh, just like how, where, how did you get to where you are now? Right. So we met um, in architecture school, right? But then you kind of did your own thing and, and had a dual as a dual major or got a minor. Um, and now you're end up in the digital world. Like, what was that like? Is that something you intended to do? Or is that sort of something that happened? Yeah, you know, I mean, you guys both know this, like the beauty about architecture is just, you know, it's, it is to a certain degree problem solving and, you know, kind of creating for, um, for people, you know, whether it be utility aspects, commercial, you know, real estate, things like that. But it is kind of ties in directly to what I do now. It's like, you know, designing for a need, like kind of solving a problem. So I think through architecture school, it, it, the, the best thing about it is that it taught, you know, me in particular that you need to learn on the fly, but you also need to work with people around you to get, you know, you know, better experiences for what you're doing. I mean, mm-hmm. in school, like, you could just go alone and just work on your studio stuff by yourself. Like, right. it helped by, you know, you know, working next to somebody, asking them, like, what, what did you do? What were you thinking? So collaboration and, and definitely that working um, mentality were definitely two of the strong things that kind of, you know, really kind of propelled me where I am today. So it was kind of just adaptation of that almost. Right. So do you, do you think you um, have a different sense of, of what design is now that you're, that you've moved on to architecture, right? You talked about, uh, in architecture school, you were able to work on your own, and I mean, you. I guess in the professional world of architecture, you can't really do that, but at the same time, you kind of can as like a lead designer. It's like your project to push forward, right? So, is that different now? You think there's like a different version of design, or is it all sort of the same thing? Yeah, you know, I think this is this is my over-encompassing like design definition, but to me, design is just about relationships, you know. I think a lot of people say like, you know, design is problem solving, design is intent, you know, being intentional about something. But I think through thick and thin, I, I keep seeing this kind of like, um, this idea that it's about relationships. And what I mean is just kind of like understanding, you know, what you're, you know, creating that, that experience for. It could be an interface, you know, how that ties into the information on the screen to your end users. It could be designing, a, you know, a physical space, whether it be that brand activation. Or, you know, it could be like, like, you know, the glass museum, you know, we used to make them, you know, in college. Like, it could be designing that, that experience right. as you turn yeah. it. Right. But do you think you're... No, that, you know, design is just manipulating and understanding relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely, definitely what I've found. Now, I guess it's like different types of relationships and different priorities and, and things like that. Um, that that maybe uh, that maybe change up across across disciplines. I don't know. I it's, it's always been my opinion that architecture is maybe a little more aesthetically aesthetically based. I mean, there's obviously stuff like life safety and, and construction focus that you have to they have to pay attention to. But I feel like, or at least it seems like, for the most part, architecture firms you're an architecture designer, you're designing a building. 
versus maybe in in more of these digital realms or even some of these firms that are starting to like kind of straddle the difference like at Gensler you're starting to see more not just like designing a product but you're also designing I mean you're you're talking about designing experiences and then you're also designing maybe like a, a research or a strategy to it like there are all these different roles um, and that that's where I that's where I'm coming from in terms of like how, is, is your definition of design changing as you kind of move across these disciplines or is it just kind of this overarching maybe it is this overarching thing but seems so fluid too yeah you know i think that's the beauty of it but you know i think another main thing about design i, I feel like you know that's true is also that storytelling aspect it's kind of like framing the narrative for the audience right and kind of what you're saying is like it almost is like uh, you know apply and adapt to that situation or scenario and kind of like keeping it almost this high level of, it is about relationships but then as you dive deeper into let's say you know architecture or other aspects of it, then it kind of becomes more focused. But it's all about that overall under, understanding, I think. Uh huh. Um, okay, but okay. So so let's go off that. Do you do you think as you've moved along, even if it's like this overall understanding, do you think that you've come to value different portions of it differently as you've moved? Uh, like, where, where do your values change, or how have they kind of progressed in terms of where your priorities are? Uh, what you're are you prioritizing the product? Are you tri- prioritizing you know the human experience? Are you prioritizing um, I don't know what else you could pri- prioritize the company's bottom line maybe like can you talk about that a little bit and see maybe as you've moved throughout all these different projects that you've that you've been on? Yeah, you know I think it's honestly become more of like the more I I learn the less I know. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's like it's like, it's like honestly about empathy um just kind of understanding and i think what i mean by empathy is like kind of understanding you know who does who we're designing for and what are we creating this for but i started to realize too that you can't just you know put yourself in somebody else's shoes you need you need collaboration you know Uh design can't just be owned by one thing like it needs to be kind of this over-encompassing thing as a as a collective because we all have different perspectives and just because I don't like a certain, you know, color or things like that doesn't mean it's not the appropriate, you know, task or, you know, you know, spacing, things like that. So I think right. empathy and deep understanding of that is definitely, definitely valuable. Huh. All right. I think that's pretty, I think that's probably one of the most interesting things that we've maybe come up with, talked about so far. It's like, how do you, how do you get through that different perspective, right? Because to a certain extent, there's always maybe some hierarchy on team or someone is sort of, you know they're kind of the boss and they they say something like how how do you make sure that it's it's uh you know you're you're getting the right perspectives as you're you're moving through your projects in design or you're being empathic in the right way not just following someone else's view that might be a slightly misguided yeah you know i think that's that's also a big thing about design and business you know i think design is all kind of like that's a lot of businesses it's just viewed as you know, you know, go make things look pretty and just the interface. Right. Um, but to your point, like to your, to your question, like I think it's just um, kind of using design as selling and kind of understanding that and understanding that when you, you know, talk to somebody in the business, things along those lines that you have to kind of approach them in this sense of like feedback, like you know, you're taking this feedback and this can you know, provide a competitive advantage, you know, perspective or kind of like an additional component that could be, you know, kind of further explored. Right. Right. Huh. Um, okay. So, so if we're thinking about it from business perspectives and things like that, so 
um, I don't know, you've been on, uh, you, you've kind of told us about, or at least suggested a couple of projects that you've, you've worked on. I'd, I'd be curious to hear how your experiences went with some of these projects or s- startups and, and some of these side projects that you've, you've done and, and how that sort of influenced where you are now, or at least now that you have a full-time job too, like how does that play in, right? Yeah, yeah. how do you manage all that? Yeah, because you're kind of going from like being more important to less important. But uh, I'll just say this, like when you have a startup, um, it's like startup life is life. Like it's just whenever you have a moment, Um, it could be, you know, on the way to work, it could be at work. We all have the notes on our iPhone and stuff like that. So it's just like whenever you have a waking moment, you know, you just, you know, you kind of dive in it. And I think it's just like when you're passionate about something, um, it's not work at that point. Right. Well, that's that's what you kind of hope, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, can uh, you? So you've listed a couple projects here for us in our little notes thing. Can you? Um, do you want to go through and talk about these a little bit? Um, how these came about? Uh, how you sort of build the teams of a startup? And um, like how you came up with the ideas for these things? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'd be curious how you're, how you've kind of, I don't know, is it, yeah, okay, go for it. I'll, I'll, I'll backburn this question for a second, sorry. The first one um, was honestly, by chance, uh, it was this idea called Venue Vegas, and the way I met, you know, kind of like, what eventually became with my co-founders, I was in a Starbucks in Chicago, and I was just working on logos for, you know, something small, and a guy, you know, just happened to come across, and he was on my screen, was like, can you design apps? And I was like, you know, I could. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Like, what's what's up? You know, and you know, we had this quick conversation. He was like, you know, I'm I'm passionate about you know trying to trying to make something happen, like build some kind of app or idea. You know, I have a buddy down the street who's like developing like as we speak, like he's super smart. So in that moment, like I think this is one of those like aha moments. Like I was like, let's go like food or you know meet up and he was like yeah you want to meet him right now i was like sure so i just kind of in the moment closed my laptop went down the street and we kind of just began a conversation that's pretty awesome that's exciting yeah i mean it's it started like you know we started like just kind of like brainstorming it was like we have design business and you know development all in the same roof so it was kind of exciting for me to you know talk to somebody about like you know bringing something i wanted to fruition and we came across this idea you know about las vegas um the two guys have been there before, and they you know, had been to clubs. They're like, you know, we've gone out, we've lost friends, and you know, we don't know how to navigate through these clubs. Like, it would be kind of cool if like we could see a map. And obviously, like you both have this skill. Like, I just made floor plans with it because, like, oh, like something like this. It was like a simple like AutoCAD file. Yeah. And they were blown away. They were like, telling me you you don't even need to like be there to estimate or whatever. I was like, I mean, the maps are pretty much online, so. We started with this idea of self-placement mapping um, of where you were in a Las Vegas club. You know, you, sh- you drop a pin and you share where you are and your friends see where you are. Um, the whole idea was just kind of like connecting the Las Vegas experience. Um, we had ideas of kind of like expanding to like making like, you know, an Uber for bottle service or Uber for drinks. <laughs> it, was, it was a big, tall task. I think that was my first introduction to when you start a startup, make sure you define what it is and build the team correctly because we just kept kind of like looking and searching for something to, to make and we launched a version of, I think it's actually still in the app store. Uh, don't judge me for the design of that one, but uh, <laughs> it, it was a great experience for me to just kind of, you know, understand what this startup world was like and 
you know, just kind of figure it out on my own. Right. So you didn't, this guy didn't have an idea going in. He's just like, oh, it looks like you do cool work. Let's, let's come up with something. Pretty much. Yeah. That's pretty cool though. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. <laughs> Props to you for having the, you know, wherewithal to go with them and just like go with it. I feel like I would have been like, uh, what? <laughs> just kind of sat there <laughs> was, for a little while. I was in Rift North of Chicago, so like I felt completely safe. <laughs> yeah. Well, even yeah. that, I would just be like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to like, you know, so that's pretty cool. Confidence yeah. a little bit in yourself. That's awesome. Um, all right, so so that's still kind of kind of a thing, but it's more of a learning experience. What about some of these other guys? This, like, how how have these projects kind of led you to where you are now? Is that is there something you feel like you've kind of like become? I don't know. Yeah, um, I would say, you know, I I have done my own like you know projects that are solely about me, but it's it's apps like Gradespar that kind of showed me the value of what I was doing for other people. And the way that happened was, you know, the co-founder I had at Venue Vegas had a buddy from um, from college who was, you know, working on the app, and he just needed somebody to kind of like bring that visual aspect to life. So, you know, he linked me with him, and next thing you know, I, I was on a three-month window to design this app. You know, and Gridstar is an educational reward app that allows you know parents to go in and set these tasks for their children, oh. um, whether they like, get an A on exam, you know, this and that, and the kids. You take a picture of it, exchange them for potential prizes that the parents you know, choose. What? Okay. I would appreciate that when I was in Target begging my parents to give me crap when I was a kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it made life a little easier. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Seriously. That's... Uh, but it was a great, it was a great experience. You know, it, it allowed me to kind of make a full end-to-end experience of an app, like authentication of you know social like you know id verification of phone number login like it was the entire experience on top of like interaction design and things like that so for someone that like as their first real project it was just like i'm figuring this out as i go and it it really kind of pushed me to you know try to do the best job possible i I wasn't trying to let them down but let them know that this is the first real experience i actually had made right oh so you had to do like some of the more uh, technically heavy stuff like verifying things verifying uh Phone. Well, just just the logic of it to to give to the developers, just kind of understanding like if this um, if someone doesn't in, you know input the right email address, what kind of error state comes up? Right. What happens if you have no wireless connection? Um, yeah. Things like that. Empty state screens, like when there's nothing there, when you haven't had any prizes or stuff like that. So just right. really thinking about it. Right. All right. Yeah, so that's beyond just the visual there, and that's you know getting into the systems part of it really. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right, so that that's something that's like completely, at least to me, it seems completely different from anything we learned in architecture school, right? And I don't know exactly what classes you took in in more of the art and design departments, but like, where did, how did you learn error state screens and, and sort of the flow of like how what's the best way to move people or tell them that this is not the right way to do it, this is invalid, right? Um, where did that mindset come from? I think it's kind of one of those things, and it's this is tying back into what design really is—just iteration. Right. Um, and, and the beauty about design is that you know you can bring these visualizations to life. So I think after seeing a couple ideas that I had, and I was like, well, what happened? Like you know, things that happen. Like what happens if the wire Wi-Fi is off? You just kind of begin to pick those things up, and you're like, oh, we got to make sure we you know establish this. Um, you know, think about what happens when there's nothing on the screen. Like what is what can a user do? Um, if you know, you just kind of think about the full end experience. So it, it kind of came 
through just desire need of like building like in-depth experiences. But then there's also just, you know, looking at the apps that have actually been successful. Um, like, you know, I think good design, we realize it's good when, like, it, when it's working and we don't even realize that we're doing work. And it just kind of works for us. Right. And it just kind of like, you know, kind of allowed me to evaluate, you know, apps that are like Instagram and things like that. Like, what, what made them work so well? They're so simple. They seem so basic, but they're so well thought out. Right. You know, so detail oriented that you don't even realize that, you, you know, you're solving a problem. You know, they make you recognize everything you need before you even have to realize that, you know, you're stuck somewhere. Yeah, I, I guess you get that a little bit in architecture. Right? It's, it's it's wayfinding. It's 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 flow of spaces. But it seems so. I don't know. It seems so different from our like uh, interaction design or UX yeah. design standpoint. It's like right at your fingertips. Well, and pro- I I actually wrote down a note kind of related to this where um, on one end like you're ta- kind of talking about the process, and I can I can really see these processes related. And what what Marco's you know sort of getting at is this idea of self-critique and always questioning uh, what you're doing um, and how someone sort of works their way through it. But one of the notes that I had here was, you know, uh, one of the things I find really fascinating about UI design or user interface, uh, UX, I guess is the level of intimacy that you get to engage the users or people with. Um, So you you get them right there, like right, right interacting with whatever product you have Whereas like architecture, that interaction's much less concrete, I think, um, most of the time. Uh, you just sort of have an abstract idea of what space is and hope that the user sort of follows that, you know, a similar notion or idea. Um, and I, I guess I was wondering if, if that's, if like the level of intimacy that you have with the user, it doesn't sound like that's taken for granted. But is there ways in which you're, you guys like in which you think that you could explore where you push that even, push that intimacy even further? Yeah, you know, you know, kind of to what you as you were saying that, I kind of made me think about this. You know, you can build an app that is kind of like very open ended and kind of free form. You know, like you don't give you know users too much like instruction. You kind of just like let them define it. Uh, but I think sometimes like having a little bit of constraint can can allow, you know, more creativity for, you know, exploring, you know, like on Instagram, you know, before they, they changed things where you, you know, you couldn't, um, like recently you can do this, you can actually hope businesses can post um, without actually posting. But originally the whole idea was to, you know, create engagement. So you had to post at the specific time. Now you can time your, your Instagram post. So it was like, oh. the first was to build engagement was all about making you work to do it. You know, you had to apply your filters. Now you can literally just go on and plan it. Um, oh. So it, now that it's you know it's kind of reached that threshold, it's just kind of made it easier. But to start, they just you know made it more constrained and, and almost I would say more work for people because they wanted them to take the time to spend on their platform, you know, kind of develop how to use it, you know, understand. Now it's like that level of mastery where they're just trying to you know get it efficiently done to the, you know their followers. Right. It's like how much friction do you want to you want to give someone to make them do something or or let them let them explore that, right? Huh. That's an interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this too. Like, and, and how much of that is is allowed because you're able? You, you were talking about Marco the the ability to inch or uh, iterate through these designs so quickly and just like test this so quickly. And I feel like we, it's like how how do we do that in other mediums? Not just space design, but um, you know, maybe even like uh, wayfinding to a certain extent, or uh, maybe it's just the more physical stuff, right? It's like it's harder to iterate through this. 
in, in, the, in the new UX design. That's I think that's like one of the key things. I don't know if that's like key to understanding how humans work just because you need this to be able to be repetitive so many times to understand it versus like you're guessing from someone else's shoes. But You know, I think that's one of the, the, like I said, the business values of it is that the cost efficiency to, you know, rapidly iterate is is pretty easy, you know, pretty seamless with this. You know, it doesn't take much to literally just kind of put something together with no, you know, prototyping software and like allow it to just click through something. You know, it doesn't have to have, you know, development implied. It doesn't have to be a build structure, let's say an architecture. Um, like, and, and imagine this, like, you know, you're getting feedback about a building, but it's already been, you know, built. The foundation's right. already been set. It's not like you can go back and just rip, you know, everything out. Right. So I think the thing about it is like, it's, it's almost like the building being built is like, you know, the code of being developed. Like, you're not going to go back and restructure all that code. It's kind of like thinking about it, like, you know, at the three model aspect, you know, when you're in presentations, like the scaled models we do. I look at that as kind of what I, what I do now, almost in a sense. Mm-hmm. Except yours, yours is, even though it's a scale model, quote unquote, or the beta phase, it's still usable right. to the extent that it's, <laughs> you know, or it's close to the way you expect people to use it. Yeah, that, that, that's the other thing too. It's very, it's almost it's almost seamlessly the same. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like a simulation or a representation. In this in this case, it, it's it's the real thing. It's just an earlier version of the real thing. Right. Which, I think when, I guess in physical space, you know, when you're when you're presenting like an architectural th- idea or a project. You kind of have to project yourself into the drawing, <clears throat> whereas, you know, and that and the feedback that you get from that can be helpful, but it's never it's never based on a reality. Whereas having that feedback that comes from a reality is just a, a newer version or a beta version. Maybe maybe that feedback is much more meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I definitely see your point. You know, I mean, with architecture nowadays, I mean, we got further into this, but it's like. You know, VR experiences, you know, how is that, that tie into that as well? Right. You know, how is that going to allow you to, to feel more of like that connection of what you're making up front? And I, I think that's something that, like the beauty about like, you know, you know, UX design is like I said, just right in front of you. But it's like as we, you know, kind of progress, maybe this, me- you know, methodology and mindset can be applied to something that takes a little bit longer. Right. All right. So like from your experiences working on uh, projects, more of your own projects, your startup projects, and then some of your experience now working at Havas, um, I don't know, where, where do you, f- what do you feel about, uh, or how do you feel about UX design, where, where it is in terms of right, right now it's, it's sort of limited to your phone, but it's kind of moving towards a little bit of VR. It's kind of moving towards a little bit of voice, uh, voice interfaces. Like what, what's, how do people see that in your industry? What's the you big know, conversation? I think, it's, I think it's becoming more valuable because, you know, there are top tech companies in this world, you know, like IBM and Apple that, that truly value, you know, great design and, you know, kind of use that as the forefront of what they are. So I think in a way it, it is becoming more well-known. What is happening though that I kind of see is that people think they know exactly what it is. Like they know it's important, but they don't know maybe what exactly it is. And I think at times I could be almost limiting to, you know, kind of making it a department rather than a discipline. Uh-huh. Um, it's not just kind of like just something you go and, yeah, I'm going to make you wireframes or I'm going to do this. It's, it's more, it's deeper than that. Um, it's, it's more of like, kind of like being connective tissue um, between teams. 
you know, a lot of people to kind of come together. I mean, right. if you think about it, if you have a designer, a developer, a business person in the room, and in that moment, the only person who really can kind of like bring everyone together is that designer. You know, through that yeah. conversation on the whiteboard with something, it's like they they can directly relate and you know kind of be the median between all these you know different um, disciplinary team members. So that's kind of what I what I see about it. So is that is that your uh, startup experience talking right there? The uh, the department versus the the discipline. I think that's that's a really cool distinction. Yeah, you know, I, I will say this. I, I have been even in like you know short career so far, like not in my current job, but I've been at jobs where it was just kind of like a production thing. You know, you you know you go you to go do this, you go make that, not like um, more of a process and things like that. So I, I think that's something that's that's going to be a struggle until maybe even leadership you know roles kind of like focus on like heavy on that, but. At times, it can be seen as, like I said, just a department. You know, you go do this and hand it off to the next one. Um, I think that's probably something that frustrates a lot of, a lot of designers in this day and age in general. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's definitely a problem we're gonna have to solve, right? Especially as things kind of converge together, and you know, it's gonna be harder and harder to keep things separate. Or at least that's that's the way I see it. Well, unless unless that's your value is to just separate things and kind of keep things nice and clean bureaucratically, I guess. Right. Well, I mean, that's sort of like the industrial industrial kind of thing, right? You, you assembly align something across quickly and efficiently. And versus we're beyond that, right? We're not in the industrial age. <clears throat> we're in the digital age. We're in the information age. We should be, I don't know, more less industrial, less mass production. Um, Go ahead. More the more ability you let these disciplines talk to each other in the development of something, maybe yeah, sure, maybe it takes a little bit longer. It's not technically as efficient in terms of getting a product to market, but you know, the value. I mean, the value in doing that is probably there. It's evident, I would think. Right. I mean, I think we all kind of see that with the rise of Apple, right? And and then Microsoft kind of lagging behind and now catching up now that their design sector is back right it kind of it definitely speaks to the value of of design and thinking about this as like a cohesive whole as opposed to departmentalizing um, one than the other um, okay so i guess what i'm curious about as we're talking about moving into the future is is so if where are we now in terms of like mobile phones right to to voice interface to vr to right like it, it seems like Mobile phones, in a sense, are getting phased out. But are are they really going to be phased out? How are they useful, or are they going to be like less useful in the future? It just it seems like right now it's such a convenience to have your phone, but it's also if you dive into it, sort of inconvenient to have to turn on an app and turn off your lights, right? Things like that. Yeah, it's it's almost kind of just being used as like a median between you and and whatever that technology is. Like you know, for voice in particular, if you think about it, you know. You literally could have your phone probably a good five feet away from you and talk to Siri, make a phone call, call an Uber without even having to like look at your phone. Um, so it kind of just serves as like that connection to the accessibility of it. And it's like, where will it go next? Will it be that you know the phone gets smaller? You know that you know the the environments, the, you know the buildings that you're in have these you know technologies built in. You know, like a smart home kind of thing. Um, I think we've, we're starting to see more of those, but. It's, I don't know. It's kind of like the phone is does have a utility, you know, still to this day, um, but it's kind of being more of like a gateway to, you know, AR, right? Um, CR, things like that. Yeah, it almost feels like it's a holdover at this point, or like it's a stopgap measure because it's like we have sort of this technology, but we don't quite know how to use it yet. So it's like, well, well we're phone, using the phone. 
The phone is the aggregator of it, it. It's sort of the black box that the information goes into, and then you know the phone talks with all these uh, different environments, whether it be like your smart bulb or the Uber app, which is stored in the phone, but everything's in the cloud anyway. But the phone's just sort of this communication point. It's this funnel that all of the information has to go through, and you know, at, once there's a good enough interface, I think where it's no longer this physical object that's your phone, um, but rather it's it's uh, it's something else that that is this aggregator. Maybe the cloud doesn't live physically necessarily as much as like you know your phone could just be a chip at this point more or less. You know, once once you don't need the 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 screen of it anymore. Yeah. Oh, are we all, are we really going to get to a point where we don't need a screen? I guess maybe maybe the screen is in a different place, but well, the screen could be somewhat ubiquitous. I think. I guess. It's interesting you say that because, like, I think that maybe maybe years ago that would be an easier transition, but I think a lot of people now are, are so emotionally attached to having that phone, just like being aware of it. You know, how, I mean, there's probably ridiculous stats about how often people check their phone to check their phone now not even like having a notification just because oh, yeah. it becomes just a habit oh yeah i do it all the time at work because yeah. i just don't want to you know stare at my computer screen i'll stare at my phone there's nothing on it I'll just look at it <laughs> that's <laughs> a good point it's so true you uh, have to i mean maybe <laughs> maybe there's some phasing out of the of the physical object in a way like maybe you always have the physical object of the phone but and, and no longer is has the smartness that it has, but rather it's just that it's just that connective tissue. It's just that piece that sort of connects right. everything through. I think there's a pretty good Black Mirror episode. I don't know. Is there something that's like called the cookie? I think that's what it is. I think it's like called the cookie. But I mean, it doesn't have a screen. Like, you know, it's just it it just sort of allows you. It's just part of your person that you know sort of goes with you everywhere. That allows you to communicate with uh, with the with the digital world around you. Right. Well, and I think to that point, like if if we move that way and, and we have to like phase people off, what does that mean to your job, Marco? Like, are you you're, right now you're designing things to get people to like use the phone and be comfortable using the phone? Like, are you going to start designing interfaces and experiences that kind of use the phone but really move people away towards the voice interface or towards the AR experience? Like, that'd be kind of this weird shift right i think you know that like i said it's it kind of ties into like what ux really is and design in general it's just kind of like those relationships and end users are mine but at the end of the day i think what design really does that's that's really beautiful is like just you know allows us to be experience givers yeah. um and kind of look at it like that so it's like you know maybe the experience is about having the phone like you know it could be an app that allows you to not use any other app so you can focus on you know reading or something like that. Right. That's more of an experience kind of thing. Um, yeah, so it could yeah. be kind of like that, that shift where more apps are about you know kind of interacting with the physical world and you know disconnecting your phone. So you you almost like connecting you to disconnect kind of thing. So yeah, oh, I, I, I love that distinction between between you know because I, we think about UX designer or UI designer or whatever as so linked to this phone, but like right there you made such a distinction between like you're designing an experience you're not designing a phone app like so like what what is that yeah it's like one of those things where i 
I kind of wish I had a title. I, I guess I do. I'm a designer, right? But like, I work for an architecture firm, and an architecture firm, you like know what it does. But if you work for well, a digital experience or an experience firm, right? That's well, everything. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's the question. Like, as an architect, your medium is almost always unanimously unanimously a building, right? Right. That's always what you're producing. Um, you're always producing a building. But I don't know if you can speak to this, Marco. But as an experienced designer, is that your first instinct just to be like, well, obviously this is going to be an app, or is 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 it a little bit more open ended? As you know, you talk about an experience, and like, what's what's the best way to answer this experience? Maybe it's not necessarily through someone's phone. Yeah, yeah I think I think the the first approach to when you know when you're almost like kind of getting into design is like. Oh, it's got to be something related to technology. But I think the older older you get, and the more like kind of understand things, you you don't understand what the first approach might be. Like kind of what you just said, like you know, designing an app might not be the right approach because now you just cut off one leg by designing for iOS. Like you just lost all of Android users. Now you have to design for both. You know, it could just be making a web app. It could you know not be making a digital app in itself. It could be something else. It could be leveraging a pre-built app. So I think that's where it's kind of like. Just kind of like where your process is about defining what you're doing first and understanding really, because otherwise it's kind of like you, know, you might have just chopped off all the other approaches by just going, you know, going directly into apps. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'd be curious to see to see where you end up in, in five, ten years. Not not just you personally, but sort of the user experience as a whole. Right. Because like. If it's not linked to a screen anymore, like, is are, are we getting more into everyone's using voice interface, or are you moving away from a screen and more towards like a Google Glass thing? Like, I think that you know some of the skills are transferable, and some of them are maybe it's like you have to move away from this this flat thing over over time. But yeah, I think that's that'll be so cool to see where this goes. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely evolving. I mean. Even the short amount of time I've been aware of it, I, I think it's it's growing. But just in general, if you you know kind of like look at the landscape of where design used to be, it used to be almost. Uh, I feel like a lot of UX designers who are you know older nowadays were just graphic designers or maybe front end developers. You know they kind of just built these you know interfaces um, by kind of piecing together you know whatever it was. But then it came a need to you know how do you differentiate your competitors? And it was you know kind of about thinking deeper into it. So then that's kind of where the role really kind of evolved as. You know, that curios curiosity really uh, arose to like kind of you know, make a difference. I think that that's where UX design really is. Right. I mean, think about how cool it'd be to be the guy who invented the like pull down to reload thing, like, or the team yeah. that invented that. Right. That <laughs> every app uses that. It's every, a great little one. Right. Or uh, I was listening to the or read an article recently on that Google Material Design where they're like thinking yeah. about folding and and shifting papers around like that material is a digital thing like that's it's it's intentional and you know that's that's the beauty about even interaction too is that you know it's it's kind of like there's no um kind of surprise to any user it's like you anticipate like if i click this card it's gonna you know the physics of it should move this way not kind of like blow up right you know what i mean <laughs> yeah it should... and and to me, that whole movement really just indicates that there, you know, it just tells me even more that this convergence is happening between the digital realm and the physical realm, and then ultimately it's just going to sort of combine and mesh together at some point. Because if, you know, we move from a really, really flat design to this Google Materials thing right now, which is focused on, you know, 
building a foundation, like a, a physical foundation, more or less, uh, for a digital interface, so that in some way it's more that's more relatable for the user. Yeah, yeah, because like, it, it applies, you know, not just their phones, but their AR stuff. You know, yeah. just not just like oh, this is for you know my new you know weather app. It's it could literally be kind of adaptable. Oh yeah, if you see something on AR, you expect it to be in front or behind something, right? So it's like there, there has to be some sort of material to it, or you know, there has to be a, a nice location to it. I was actually just listening on the walk home today from work. It's this uh, podcast by Google Design, and it's like the Method podcast by Google Design or something like that. But they they interviewed this lady who worked as a voice. Uh, she worked for their voice user inter voice design section of. Google designer, something like that. Um, but it was it was so fascinating listening to her talking about how she grew up listening to music and and being really interested in language and kind of moving that into a human computer interface uh, degree. Hmm. Um, but one of the, a couple of things she brought up were kind of brought up by us here um, was like you see movement and if you see something wrong with the movement or no, this someone someone in the podcast brought this up you kind of intuitively know it's wrong, right? You can kind of, the, the host was saying something about how you can, he can bump up the text size a little bit and no one's going to notice. You can change the color slightly. No one's really going to notice. But if you change, if you screw up the movement, someone will notice immediately. And and I guess the same thing with voices. As this lady was like, if you say was instead of were, you're going to catch that immediately. And it's going to, it actually puts your brain into overdrive. I was like, that is like one of the most fascinating things I've ever heard. That like, you know, it puts a strain on like the cognitive load. Like, right? It, it puts you, it makes you really just kind of like, you know, down spiral where you are. It, it creates, you know, not a delightful experience. Well, yeah, it separates. Like, that's it's the sort of thing that that takes you out of a good experience and then just moves you to the point where you're just thinking about what was wrong about it. <laughs> right. Well, it's like, yeah, you're you're kind of flowing along, and all of a sudden, it's like that wasn't right, right? You, hey, it, it tells you that this was something that was designed incorrectly, and then instead of making the experience something that is fluid and almost invisible and it's just sort of there if you got something that is entirely that you're entirely aware of and apparent to you and yeah it sort of it breaks the veil i guess yeah an obstacle on top of what the the app should be solving a problem by some form and almost adds to that burden that you know it was supposed to solve right and i know I'd be curious as we kind of move forward, as we learn about these things, learn more about like what what creates undue cognitive load. Like, what else are we gonna find out about ourselves, right? Like, you know, yeah. this stuff we kind of intuitively knew in the real world, but when we move it to the digital world, it's like we're almost relearning it or like teaching it to ourselves again. Like, what what else yeah. are we gonna figure out? There was I don't know if that was rhetorical or not. <laughs> not there I don't was, know, kind there of is yeah. I had that has sort of been bugging me ever since I noticed this, or I probably heard someone say it. Um, but it's so it's like Facebook, Twitter, Skype, um, Trello. Like everyone's got blue for their user interface. Like anything like social related, it seems to be blue for some reason. And I was wondering if you could talk to that at all, and if, there's, <laughs> if it's sort of grounded. In this, if if there's some sort of notion that this blue is about it's better, this blue color is better for creating interactions with people in the interface, 
or yeah. with people with each other in the interface, or I don't know. That's hilarious. Well, it's funny you say that because it, it, I mean I think blue is a harmonious color, whatever. It's a calming color, and it's like you're yeah. talking about social, which is not really you know just oh I'm gonna log in check my face, but you're you're kind of you're triggered by your emotions, all that kind of stuff. So I would almost think it's almost an orange or red, you know, kind of like invoking that. Yeah, well, that's what I would think. I think I think there's two things to that. I think one. Color does play a big role into you know those decisions. You know, it could affect mood, and there's a lot of you know re, you know studies and things along those lines. But I think also too, I think it's just people understanding it works. Why would you break you know break the wheel? Uh-huh. You know, if it's using you, and it's it's you know kind of creating a delightful experience. Like you know, I'm not going to necessarily copy their logo, but there's things I could you know necessarily kind of take from my own. Yeah, uh, huh. I like that answer. I, I was I was yeah. half expecting some sort of like joke answer, you know, where you have the stereotypical architects like black or only wear black or only yeah. like white buildings, right? Yeah. It's like is is that the stereotypical UX designer that really likes blue, right? But if it if it you know if it actually is about the delightful experience, then that's that's great. Kudos to them. I don't I don't think black or white is really about the delightful experience <laughs> in terms yeah. of architecture. eBay eBay used to have like a lot of color on their site and they they wanted to reduce the color but like not like dramatically like saying like our homepage hero is orange and now it's white they Uh wanted to like reduce the color of it Um, it was like a a business decision Uh, what they did was over the course of 365 days they reduced the shade of the banner that they wanted to reduce so every day it got lighter Uh you just didn't realize that they made a dramatic change that's really funny. Uh, and that's, that's where like A-B testing, things like that comes along with buttons and iconography and all that stuff. So it's it's crazy like they could do something like, I said like one, it could be one shade every day and you're not really you know aware of it. And over time, it's like a dramatic change. That's really It's like fun. they trained you for it. But still, there's someone that had to write the code for whatever to do that every day. <laughs> someone, someone had to be clever enough to figure that out too, right? Yeah. There was there was an article that I read recently about how Google's Google and Apple Maps changed over the course of I think like seven months or something, and like how dramatic the change uh, had occurred as they're continually updating and iterating through the same product, and no one even noticed. Oh yeah, I believe no it. One, no one noticed this change that's happening. Um, Facebook had uh, there's like a icon on there that has two people. And they switched it one time. Like I think, I think, I think it's between a guy and a girl, something like that. And they put the girl first, or something like that. But people, people noticed it and were like, what, "What's going on?" And like, I mean, I don't know if you guys are on Instagram a lot, but like when Instagram went to this whole, you know, kind of like, oh yeah, dark interface, like it was a dramatic change. Oh yeah. Um, I think there are, to, you know, to, to your point, Christian, there are times like where something's so subtle that they just do a good job of like evolving. They might have had the end state in mind the entire time. Yeah, slowly evolve it. Yeah. Then there's where they, you know, they kind of maybe test on their core engagement users who use it the most. You know, introduce this kind of like here's a new change coming. They get those adapters on it, and then just kind of roll it out to everyone else. Yeah, I know there's always an uproar anytime a one of these digital companies, you know, makes a new logo. <laughs> oh, like Uber. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that one was that one was <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> uh, that was that was that was pretty bad. Yeah, of all the new logo, like Instagram's logos, I don't mind it. People didn't like it. I don't mind it. It's not a bad logo like Uber's is. 
Instagram made it made sense because it was you know at the time I didn't like it either. But when, if you think about it, they reduced the color of all the other buttons on the app except the picture, so you focus on the picture. They made the icon this bright, vibrant color that would stand out on your phone, mm-hmm. so you're probably more likely to click into it. And if you're on the App Store, this color scheme that they have just ties into their whole idea of like of creating a beautifully crafted photo. So it does it. Looking at it, it's like, oh, that's disgusting. It's like, even Facebook, you're like, oh, it's so ugly. I, I don't like it. But you use it because it's usable. You know? yeah. The use, usability of it is off the charts. You know exactly where things are. Yeah. It's simple for you. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a nice distinction that you, that, I don't know, I, I think that we don't often do in some of the other disciplines where it's like, it's so much about the usability and the brand that the look, the look is probably perfect for what it is, but it's obviously not maybe not the most attractive or most aesthetically pleasing objectively, but it, I like, I like the ability to just say, you know what, it's usable. Let's just, it's usable and good. Let's do it. I can't say that aesthetically I dislike the Instagram logo now, you know, it's something that I've grown accustomed to and it, it sort of just is. And honestly, I've kind of grown to like it over time. And as the, as an aesthetic, yeah. And if at first you're just sort of like, well, that's, weird <laughs> yeah you know, yeah. Uh, you know yeah. we're in nature you know we're reluctant to change and i think that's probably the big thing but over time it's kind of like you see like oh you know that's modernistic that's sweet you know that's colorful right. Yeah. right it's kind of fun you know it, it's it's kind of fun facebook's is not so much fun but it, it's it's them so whatever <laughs> yeah it looks like it could be like a corporate logo yeah or something i don't know <laughs> yeah or, or governmental or yeah <laughs> yep you know, that was one thing that, uh, one other point that I wanted to bring up, which is about scale. Um, and so right now, like everything's scaled to the phone and your your digits, like your fingers, right? But, you know, if, if we sort of see this convergence happening between physical space and digital space, you know, my, my guess would be is that that scale, you know, it gets bigger. Maybe it gets to like the size of your hand. Or it's more related to your eye, or nest. maybe maybe the scale is already really good for your eye, um, as it is. But that was, I guess, one other point that I thought might be interesting as a like a UX design thing. You know, do I have do I have apps that are scaled to my feet rather than my fingers? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's so interesting. You bring up like even like you know, kind of like swiping on your phone. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of the apps actually have a lot of the navigation on the bottom of the screen because it's less you know, reach for your phone. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, let's reach for your thumb, you know, for example. And a lot of gestures make it so much easier. Like, it's easier for you to swipe up and down through content than left and right. There's more yeah. work. That's true. There's, really it, about that. there's a science to it all. And like, like that's why things in the top left-hand corner, it makes you reach. So you're probably not going to see anything of major importance right there. It'll make you do something. Right. No, but, that's true. No, the, but I, I mean it's crazy because like you can go from like a laptop where you have a mouse and you know mouse pad and all that stuff and you know keys, but like on a phone, you might have a keyboard pop up, so that that might take away from what's available in that, that screen real estate. Right, but it's all about your thumbs, so. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I guess as we as we learn more or jump more into VR, um, 
and AR, you'll maybe that maybe that will change, right? It's like well, it yeah, doesn't have to be designed around evolved. it doesn't have to be designed around your thumbs. It has to be designed around where you're able to look quickly, where you can move your hand quickly. Maybe we'll learn more about ourselves as human beings or the the kinetics of our body. That way, it's like you know, yeah, where can but, I reach? But you think about that, like in, in relation to architecture. Like let's say that let's say that trend happens, and so right now. Um, we, we'll talk about digital. We'll talk about digital environments. You know, it started with like a mouse and a keyboard, right? That's your inter- That was your first interaction with the digital environment, and then we moved to the touchscreen phones, and the scale is in your thumbs now. But and then and then you know, if we move forward, maybe it's about this gesture and the way that the human body interacts uh, with these things. Right. But like all the same, all along, architecture is always only really, in my mind, only ever considered scale in terms of people at your full body. Yeah. Right? You never engage just like your knee or your, you know, your cap, your your leg from your knee down. No, that's like, a really good point. You could, you could have an architectural space that's just engaging the lower half of your body, and you're still going to feel it just the same. But this this evolution has happened so fast in terms of digital interface. Yeah, well, because you iterate so fast, technology moves so fast. Yeah, my science is like, you know, kind of what you said earlier about like, you know, user testing and like, you know, UX allows you to kind of focus on one thing and like iterate fast on that. And like architecture is almost like over encompassing like your entire being as you're going into something. So it might tie something into that, like kind of like how, you know, rapidly iterating has, has evolved this process and testing and, you know, it's getting easier now. It's a fun project too. There's a lot of money out in this world, and I don't know. It might have something to do with the you know, accessibility to that. You know, you know these digital experiences. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe it's that architecture has been at such a big scale for so long. It's it's uh, it needs this digital experience to catch up to it, right? So you're almost converging in the middle from greater than human size down to human scale in architecture, and then on the other end, you're going from hand to foot to face right and you're you're coming towards the middle um yeah all right so we're we're uh at the longest podcast that we've recorded so far um (laughs) because it was the most interesting yeah it's been a fun conversation mission accomplished accomplished. um so maybe we should start wrapping it up but one thing i do want to ask uh while we have you marco where what are you super excited about in for user interface design or user experience design going into the future like what what excites you most about this profession that you're in like where do you see yourself or where do you see this going good question i think originally i would have said probably like you know the ability to problem solve and continue to do that but i I think now what i'm seeing is the ability how it can like you know really kind of you know make these relationships stronger and and, you know more to light just bringing a visualization to reality is, is something that's beautiful to me whatever it may be an app on the phone it could be you know a sketch i think sketching is something that everyone can utilize you know for sure for anything but i think it's just kind of like bringing things to life you know making things a reality that's always kind of been like you know the biggest lure with architecture you know we have like you know sketches and make a 3d model and you know, then we make a physical model so i think it's the idea of you know kind of you know creating things and making it a reality all right and then, okay, I said last question, but I do want to ask, do you think you'll ever get back and do physical space design? If, do you think your digital design is going to take you there eventually, or are you kind of sticking with the digital? You know, honestly, I've thought about furniture for a while. <laughs> Not going to lie. <laughs> like, like, you know, I, I, I kind of like this, uh, you know, the whole idea of form meets function, all that kind of stuff, obviously. But it, it, it's something about it, about it like, that really kind of started to maybe think more about, like, 
even like not just furniture but like teapots too like you know you take a teapot and you just pour water into a cup but i was like what if the water could like spiral or do something unique like right. how does that the spout like i don't know it's kind of making me think about you know kind of anything i interact with like a couch like how does this work right. it makes me you know very curious about kind of all things around me huh well yeah. to your point yeah probably probably something. <laughs> well I'd be, I'd be excited to see what you cope with especially if you you start to move some of your digital stuff into your into your furniture i'd love a vr chair you know <laughs> good luck <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good workout to me yeah <laughs> I don't know what it would be, but it would be kind of fun. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap it up. This is, this is a good listening experience. Hopefully some people have made it all the way through. <laughs> um, this has been a lot of fun. I really yeah. appreciate it. This, is, this has been a great conversation. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. We enjoyed it too, I think. I, I, I definitely did. So maybe we'll have you back sometime. I think it would be. Yeah, we're going to have to do a part two at some point, like a recap I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, a check-in in the future. See where we're at. See where things are going. Who knows how fast things will change. So. Yeah, it depends how fast we want to recycle guests. <laughs> it, could be, it could be within the next month or so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll let you know. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. All right. Well, all right. take well, care, everyone. Thanks.